This episode's guest is Brandon Marcello from brandonmarcelloPhD.com. Brandon is one of the most highly sought after high performance sports consultants within the profession. He has an extensive background and bio, and I do not want to do his bio any injustice by attempting to cover everything he's accomplished so far in his career. So for Brandon's full bio, you can head over to the show notes where it is all linked up. On this episode, Brandon and I discuss his background, why he decided to get into consulting, what services he provides to organizations. I asked Brandon how he deals with any potential conflict within the organizations he has consulted with. What are some of the common issues that he sees within the organizations he has consulted with? Brandon and I discuss the importance of communication within organizations. I asked Brandon, what are great organizations doing that makes them stand out? Why did Brandon go back to do his PhD? I asked Brandon about nutrition for high performance. I asked Brandon about the differences between the recovery trends between males and female athletes. Brandon and I discuss behavioral change. Brandon and I discuss happiness within the coaching profession. And finally, I asked Brandon if he can invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, who'd he invite and why? Guys, this was a great episode and I hope you really enjoy it. Marcelo, you Italian beauty. Thank you so much for making time to speak with me today. How are you? A pleasure. Yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I'm looking forward to chatting. Great stuff. Great stuff. Uh, Brandon, just for the listeners of this podcast, just for listening on your background. Yeah, so um, I'm, a, I'm currently a high-performance strategist. So what that means is I, I solve human performance problems. Uh, so in other words, I'm a consultant. Um, or true to my Italian name, I'm a hired gun, right? So um, <laughs> I get brought in by teams to do a number of or organizations or military to, to do a number of different things. Um, I can either solve a problem, a specific problem, or help them solve or develop a strategy to solve a specific problem. Um, I sometimes I'll perform a performance audit for them, meaning I will come in and kind of see what they do really well, what they don't do really well, and kind of help them determine the strategy to, to kind of fix that, um, if there is one. Um, other times it's, um, you know, with various projects, uh, advice on uh, technology, um, helping them kind of sift their research, um, you know, help with staffing. So really it could be a multitude of things. And, and that kind of, um, came about, I guess, through my background, just kind of being a little bit more diverse, a little bit of a generalist, if you will. Um, you know, I started out as a strength conditioning coach at IMG Academies years ago, uh, helped kind of stand up a company, uh, helped stand up a company called Exos, which was formerly Athletes Performance, uh, just Mark and I at the beginning. And then uh, from there, uh, went on, decided to go back to school, get my PhD in nutrition. And um, at the time, I thought that was my weakest link. And uh, so I kind of focused on that did some research while I was doing that and also picked up working with one of our Olympic teams here in the States. And then from there I was at Stanford university as the director of sports performance for seven years. And, um, since 2014, I've been out on my own and, uh, doing my own consulting, which has been, uh, you know, a lot of fun. So, um, you know, I get to kind of see what organizations do really well, um, see what they don't do really well. And, um, you know, I don't get angry if they don't do it because I'm not there. Right. That's the nice thing about consulting. Just give them my opinion and they can take it or leave it. So were you at Stanford when Devin McConnell was there? 
Yeah, I hired Devin. Yeah, great guy. And uh, yeah, it's well, awesome. you say that because he's Irish. <laughs> well, it's funny. I actually, um, I I worked at Boyles back in 2015, and I actually went up to uh, to Lowell where Devin is with the hockey program there. Like, and I went up, and I've been to a lot of places in terms of just different setups. You know, I was mainly in America and Ireland. Obviously, I've been to a lot of places, but like good setups in terms of a lot of collegiate setups in the states and some of the pro rugby teams here and. I have to say, and I still say to this day, like what Devin had there in terms of a program and a structure and a system really is what I'm, is the word I'm really looking for. It was one of the best systems I've ever seen just in terms of how everything ran there. Even though it's, it's, it's a small sort of facility he runs there and it's a small group in terms of the players he has because of the college that he's at, but he's doing a phenomenal job with Malone. Well, I think the thing that you hit on the head there was that it, it's a system. Hmm. And he has a system. And if you look at the, the people who have or considered to have some of the more successful programs, you know, have a system. Um, they have a systematic approach to everything they do. Right or wrong, it's a system, right? Um, Boyle has a system. Exos has a system. Functional movement systems is a system. Um, so if you look at these things that people are trying to, you know, maybe emulate or, or replicate, um, you know, I, as a consultant, the, the organizations or the groups or teams that I feel are struggling, not failing, but struggling, are ones that still haven't really adequately defined their system of training. Yeah. Joe, just something else came to my mind there. We, I know you, you have a history with uh, Exos, formerly Atlas Performance, but it's funny that the joke that comes to my mind is how long are I going to keep having to say that? Exos, formerly at least performance like what when, when, right. when, when is that like that, that demarcation going to come where it's like five i think five years now it's okay just to say excel so you know or 10 years now it's funny everyone who says that goes formally at least performance very funny that's true well see i say that just because i was there before it was exos and yeah. left before it was exos so i feel like i have to make that disclaimer um but i get it. it's kind of funny yeah <laughs> it bringing, is. bringing the old name up yeah, well, I was I was lucky there myself. I interned at Altus there at the end of 2016 and beginning oh, of 2017. Yeah. So I spent a lot of time in the Phoenix facility. So got to know Mark very well and a lot of the staff who were there. And um, even though now I was obviously uh, interning for, for Altus, like they're very close, obviously, with the Exos team there. So it was great to spend three months, you know, in that environment, not only the Altus environment, but in the Exos facility too, and getting to know Mark. And I mean, Arizona is just a hotbed in terms of a lot of, you know, just top class practitioners there in terms of sports performance and sports medicine and functional medicine. So uh, yeah, it was a great three months. Yeah, no kidding. Hot bed, no pun intended, right? It's warm there. So I'm very interested to ask you this question. What led you to get into high performance consulting? You know, because I see a lot of people sort of making this move now. You know, I suppose Fergus Connolly, a good friend of mine, he's kind of gone more towards that way. You have George Caraval now, he's very much into the consultancy role. You know, someone yeah. like yourself who originally was in the trenches, you know, you said that you originally were with AP when they got up first. You were in the IMG Academy, you know, Stanford, like, you know, an absolute legend of a, of a, of a university. Um, what was the sort of moment where you're like, you know, I, I think I've done enough in the trenches. I kind of just want to go back now and, you know, be be a bit more into this consultancy role and Derek Hansen's another one who's gone down that route as well and personally myself I've gone more consultancy now just here in Ireland with local GA teams whereas I coach for about 10 years and you know so I'm just interested to get your viewpoint well you know I think it comes down to just that you have more to offer um, and you feel you have more to offer and you know 
collegiate settings are unique. Um, and I think there's, there's a point in time when you things get stale. Um, and I think when, when someone likes variety, uh, it's nice to kind of be able to kind of consult and spread your knowledge downward. Right. And also at the same time, it affords you that variety. So you you can work with a basketball team and the military and a technology company and, you know, on nutrition and recovery and all these things. And, you know, it's a lot of different variations of training and human performance. But then at the same time, I said, like, you know, when you've been doing that, I've been in this field for, I don't know, 24 years now. Um, you know, I've, I've stepped in a lot of crap. So I can tell people where not to step, right? It's like, I stepped there, don't step there. You know, I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen. Your shoe's going to get dirty, right? So it's like, you know where the landmines are. You know how to navigate the political landscape a little bit better. Um, you know, and the other thing, you can speak candidly to organizations and help them kind of derive a better solution that otherwise they're, internal staff can't handle um, just because from a sociology standpoint, right? You know, everybody believes the expert, right? The guy from out of town, yeah. um, even though I'm saying the same thing that their support staff have been saying. So um, yeah, it's, I think a little bit of variety, a little bit of, um, you know, sharing the wealth, a little bit sharing the knowledge required over time. Yeah, I think it also it's just it's just it's just another chapter in your in your life in your career too. It's the next step on the yeah. ladder, you know, that I see a lot of people make. And personally, myself, it's kind of, it's kind of the same route myself too, and that I've kind of shifted a little more into consultancy. You you brought up a very good point there in saying like, you know, kind of advising people where not to step. But a sort of question that comes to my mind, and I've asked this to other colleagues and peers too, is, you know, there is that fine balance of like helping people avoid some mistakes but you still need to let them experience a little bit of adversity for them to sort of grow on their own journey where do you sort of you know find the balance or you know sort of like how do you meet that dichotomy in in, in a way well i think it's about education right i mean you, you can't just tell someone not to step there i think they have to see the consequences if they do yeah right um and i think part of that is you you're looking forward saying here's where i recommend you not step because of here's what's likely to happen. And then you tie that to something which happened in the past where they stepped and then they understand, oh, okay, right. It's like, don't touch that because it's hot. Remember when you touch that and it burned you? Oh yeah, yeah, I don't want to do that again. Exactly, same type of thing. So it's using their past experiences um, as a reminder of why they don't want to step there because what's coming, what's going to happen. Yeah, great stuff. So let's get a little bit into what specifically you do in terms of consultancy with an organization. So an organization brings you in, take us from there. So it depends on what, what the organization wants, really. Um, so, you know, if they want um, an audit, they might say, okay, we want you to come in and tell us kind of uh, what our needs are from a staffing standpoint or from a you know, nutrition standpoint, recovery standpoint, whatever it might be. Um, so I would fly out to the organization. I would spend five days minimum with them. Mm. Um, I would talk to the relevant parties involved, whomever. If it's a nutrition audit, I would talk to, you know, athletes and administration and cooks and players and, you know, uh, performance staff. Um, if it's just like a complete high-performance audit, I talk to all the parties, right? Sports psychologists, medicine, um, physio, uh, administration, coaches, like all the relevant parties that that touch these areas and kind of hear their story of, you know, 
what do you think they do really well? What do you think they don't do really well? And when you're collecting this information, many times what you'll see is that the groups aren't, aren't on the same page. You know, strength conditioning coach thinks they do X really well and Y poorly. And a coach might think they do Y really well and X poorly, right? So it's interesting to see that, okay, sometimes there's communication gaps, there's communication issues. So I come in, I observe, I interact, I I speak to the individuals over the five days. Then I go back and I um, write a report. And it's pretty lengthy, right? So and then I give a report back and send it back to them. Um, kind of like, here's what I thought, here's what I saw. Um, and then I have recommendations. So everything from low-level, quick, low-hanging fruit recommendations to middle-of-the-road recommendations, all the way up to high-in-the-sky recommendations and they can take and pick and choose like a menu whatever they feel they need to do mm. um sometimes that leads into further consulting say can you help us stratify these and figure out which ones we should do first i can do that sure you know and then that leads into something else and then it might be you know hey we have a, a you identify that we need some staff can you help us identify you know maybe a short list of people and take it from there sure and that can lead into something else so really it um it starts with kind of determining the problems um, or, or lack of problems and then moving from there. And that's just an example of like an audit. Um, yeah. How have you found your reception to certain organizations that you go into? Cause I asked Eric this question before, like no doubt there could be times where maybe someone higher up the chain wants to bring you in and the subordinates and don't even want to use that word, but the, the team underneath them feel a little bit aggrieved that an external consultant is coming in. If that has happened to you, how have you gone about rectifying that sort of conflict? It has happened. Um, it's happened quite a bit, right? I mean, in any way, if I'm doing a nutrition audit, there's always somebody like the chef gets angry, right? And thinks they're trying to get rid of the chef, <laughs> right? And he's like, why are, why am I meeting with this guy? What's, what's wrong with the food, right? The players love my food, right? It's like those types of things or, you know, I'll meet with the sports medicine or strength conditioning and the same thing, you know, like, why are you here? You know, are they trying to get rid of me? It's like, we're just trying to solve problems. Yeah. And that's really what it is. And that's why I'm here. So tell me what your biggest problems are. What are your biggest barriers to doing your job and achieving performance? Um, and I also tell them the nice thing about being so is I'm the one that can be candid, right? And I can go back to an administrator, an athletic director or a GM or assistant GM and say there is bad communication mm. or they're not sure what they should be doing or they are under the impression that this is happening. Um, and then I can be very candid, right? Um, I, I talked to, I'll give you a perfect example. I was talking to an assistant GM in major league baseball and he said, we're really committed to nutrition this year. And I said, that's great. And he goes, we're going to leave a lot of 30,000 extra dollars to our nutrition budget for the minor leagues. I said 30,000. I said, that doesn't, you have to excuse it. It doesn't sound like much of a commitment. And he goes, well, you know, it's, it's kind of like, it's a, you know, we're a small market team. I said, you're not a small market team. I said that all. Um, he goes, well, we're, you know, it's a tight budget year. I said, is it a tight budget year because you signed that picture for $167 million and now, you know, you know, you had to also throw in the nutrition budget into his salary. And he looked at me and he goes, all right, it's not a priority. And they say, okay, great. That's a perfect starting point. It's just not a priority. So what do we need to do to make it the best that it can be under this, you know, auspices of not being a priority? 
which is fine, right? But I think at the end of the day, we have to come to the realization that it's not. And I, I can say that as a consultant, and you know this, right? As a full-time employee, to have that argument with an assistant GM is, is not a good thing. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, you, you, you alluded this earlier on to it's, it's sort of like that. So, you know, I always mention this as well. It's like the law of accommodation in terms of like, you know, you know, if, if, uh, if a biological organism is getting the, the same stimulus over and over again, it just like, it just builds up a, a tolerance or a, 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 it desensitizes itself to it. So like, if you are seeing the same people every day in, in, in the staff and they're saying certain things to you, you just don't listen to them anymore. It's like you trying to tell your parents what to do, yeah. whereas as you just alluded earlier, when you're the external expert coming in and you're just basically saying the same thing that an individual on their staff is saying, but it's just coming from this external sort of person and you're a complete novelty and you're fresh and they're like desensitized to being around you it's like they just they're more open to to taking on that so yeah i completely can um can resonate with the fact that you know the fact you are a consultant and you go in you can be a little more sort of abrupt and straight and upfront with sort of the gms and say like this this is it's not a commitment i actually heard you tell that story on the podcast with derek and don saladino on the D podcast here you were he was like you're like 30 grand you're like uh, did you not just sign a guy for like millions and they're like okay it's, it's not a priority i get it yeah and it's funny it's true but you know like you said you can be a little more abrupt you can be a little more honest and open and to the point right and that's what they want with a consultant they want somebody who's going to be to the point um because you know they're spending money and time is money and so they don't want to banter and beat around the bush it's like this is what i think and this is what's pulling your organization back take it or leave it yeah, exactly. So if, if we got a little more down into like the nuts and the bolts from a performance standpoint, a nutrition standpoint and recovery standpoint. So let's just focus on those three areas. What would you say are the most common, most common sort of areas you're constantly having to relay feedback on and advise people to make, you know, a little bit of correction in terms of a performance strategy a nutritional strategy and a recovery strategy. So start with performance. What, what are some of the common denominators you're, you're seeing across organizations you've worked with? Uh, common denominators are trying to get a handle or grasp on technology and data and its integration within the performance space. Mm. Um, that's kind of the biggest questions that I get uh, weekly from teams, organizations, coaches, um, because there's, I think people believe that just because there's a technology available, they automatically assume that it's good. Um, and it's not the case. Um, many times it's just a minimum viable product. So, you know, um, yeah, that's, I think, probably the biggest one from a performance standpoint. From, from a, a nutrition standpoint, same type of thing. You know, it's all the usual stuff, debunking myths, supplementation. Um, mostly food questions around real food and implementing real food. And, um, but they always do the pushback of the, uh, um, you know, it has to be realistic, you know, and, and can't everything, everything can't be organic. I'm like, I get it. I get it. It has to taste good. Um, and then with recovery, it's just very much debunking myths there as well. And, um, you know, kind of talking to them about the, the more sexier things and trying to get those off their list, like cryo tanks. Right. We need, do we need a cryo tank? Everybody has a cryo tank. So I've talked about the pros and cons of having those types of things. And that's kind of what it deals with. And then also there's that, as we mentioned earlier, when we were talking um, offline here was the sleep stuff, right? That comes into play too. And then that ties back into performance with the technologies and the wearable technologies and things of that nature. So, 
Yeah, I always recovery is a funny one because I get the same questions too. Is that you know what do you think of cryo chambers? And I'm like, did you sleep last night? And they're like, oh, I don't sleep. I was like, tell you what, let's sort that out first. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, uh, <laughs> like uh, what color is your urine mostly during the day? And they're like, yeah, you know, I don't drink a lot of water. It's like, you know, the three best things you can do for recovery are sleep, hydration, and nutrition. And if you're not doing those, everything else really is a waste of time. And they're all just kind of like, really, you know, just like. It's so funny too. I know sleep is getting a lot more popular now because of the growth of social media. And when Matthew Walker came out with his interview with Joe Rogan, everyone's like, did you hear about this? Like sleep, you sleep eight hours and apparently it's great. And I was like, yeah, how about that? Yeah. I know. Like who do, you know what I mean? It's uh, cause since 2010, like I've been huge into circadian biology and, um, you know, it was the first book that really hooked me in there was Lights Out by T.S. Wiley. And it was funny, she got absolutely, like, slaughtered for that book in terms of people calling her out saying she's quack. Like, because she, she made, like, a lot of inference from the current research that was available because that book was written in, like, 2000, 2001. But, like, everything she has predicted almost in that book has, like, come to verbatim now because now research is yeah. true, you know. So she talked about a lot, a lot like, the, basically she was saying, like, circadian disruption is a major factor and a causative factor in some cases to cancer, obesity, diabetes, and depression and heart disease. And she's just like, and she had all like, and she just linked it through this book in terms of these studies. But there was nothing, of course, that, I mean, really there is no study that could ever 100% say this causes this because of you know, statistics. And then we get into quantum and then like, where is the electron? It's like, we don't know, it's a cloud. Uh, so <laughs> it's all about probability. But like since 2010, like I remember telling people about like blue light and all that. And they're all like, that's a load of woo. And now like everyone knows, like even my dad knows. He's like, oh, here's screens at night, very bad for you. Yeah, something to do with your sleep. It's just like, so it's, it's mad. Like just going back to recovery and people are like, should I, you know, wear Normatec? And it's like, should I do cryo? And I was like, do you sleep, drink water and, you know, eat reasonably good food and get enough of it to help you recover? I think if most people did yeah. that, they'd be in a much better situation. Um, one thing I've noticed from my consultancy uh, as a common denominator just across the board is just communication. You know what yeah. I mean? And it's, it seems to be this human trait because, again, we all perceive reality very differently through our own lenses because, again, we're so shaped by our own environment and every experience that's led to be the human that we are in any current moment in time. And you know, I always say, like, there's long-term chronic effects that lead you to be the person you are, which is, like, you know, from the environment when you're an embryo inside your mother, your mother in terms of, like, epigenetics, then, you know, the environments that you were brought up in, they're sort of, like, those long-term chronic sort of influences that kind of determine your sort of your trait as a person. But then you have these transient factors that kind of determine your state, which is, again, like, your sleep and your the hydration and nutrition, things that could impact, like, blood sugar and stuff like that. So they're also going to influence you in terms of your behavior. But communication is huge. And again, I think it's a lot because I bring up that, that, sort of, um, that sort of concept too of like these factors that determine who you are. Because I think, again, a lot of us, how we filter and see reality, like we think that we're clearly communicating our message. But then like it's kind of like, you know, like if you ask the players, like, well, what does this team stand for? What's the core message? Like and you ask the manager, like, oh, it's this and this. And you'd ask someone else and like, I don't know, do we have a core message? Do we? Do we have one? So, so yeah. I just find communication is a huge one. Have you seen that? And if you have, what sort of maybe feedback and, and strategies have you offered? I have seen it. Um, I agree 100 percent. You know, that's I kind of alluded to that earlier when I talked about audit and saying, you know, one coach believes this, but one sports staff member believes the opposite. Um, I've even experienced that right in my career where, you know, um, I was actually just talking to somebody about this story the other day. I was supposed to, this is years ago. I was supposed to order a piece of equipment and I couldn't find it because we had to get what I thought we needed one that was custom made. 
And the person who asked me to order was like, why is this taking so long? I still always need a custom piece. They're like, okay. And this went on for like a month. And then uh, finally something happened and they're like, this is why we needed this piece. And I'm like, oh, you needed it there? I thought you meant over there, <laughs> right? Cause we, and it was like, they go, why didn't you ask? I'm like, I didn't ask because I didn't think there was any miscommunication. I thought I clearly 100% understood what you were asking, yeah. right? So why would I ask the question? And you thought that I understood what you were talking about 100%. So you never thought to ask the question. It was kind of funny, one of these things where it was like, you know, there's a point in time where we needed the piece and I'm like, oh, that's why we needed it. I thought you were talking about this one. And so it's, it's interesting, right? That, that, like you said, perspective. I'm like, man, you know, and, and, and that was a great lesson from the standpoint of, well, yeah, nobody would think to ask the question because we thought we were 100% on the same page and knew what each other were talking about. Which is why when I give presentations, I usually start with definitions to make sure that we are, everybody is on the same page and understands what the working definitions are of recovery or, you know, um, regeneration or overtraining or these types of things, right? So everybody understands the base, no matter how basic it is, I want to make sure we all have an operating um, assumption of what these, these terms relate to. Um, so yeah, I see the communication issue a lot. Um, and then the, the, the avenues are talking with each party to determine how they communicate best. Um, and that's really what it comes down to, because you mentioned we're all individuals. We all learn differently. We all have different likes, dislikes of communication. Um, you know, many times that I see in consultant standpoint are, you know, a, a lack of communication because of time between like sports medicine and strength conditioning. Right. So what they rely upon is the athlete to be the communicator. And sometimes there's some things lost in translation. Yeah. An athlete might come to the weight room and say, yeah, I'm not supposed to squat on my left or a single leg. And they were like, no, you can squat on single leg. And they just mixed it up because they were thinking of something else. Right. Um, so I've seen that a ton. Um, so it's kind of figuring out how we can better communicate, better streamline communication, what works best for the organization. Um, one organization was a matter that uh, this was years ago. Strength conditioning didn't have smartphones. Right. So they weren't able to receive the injury reports as easily or text messages as easily. Right. So it was like, get them smartphones and then problem was solved. Right. Not a problem these days because everybody has them. But, you know, these are just some simple things to kind of figure out. Kind of what, what, again, going back to every, anything, what is the barrier to performance? We can learn what the barriers are and we can figure out a solution to countermeasure. So uh, I've kind of asked you so far about. The not so good, like the common denominators you've seen in, in organizations that aren't doing certain certain um, strategies so well in terms of performance and uh, nutrition and recovery. But in terms of the organizations you've gone who are doing things well, what are the common denominators you're seeing? No doubt communication is one, but what else are you seeing there in terms of, you know, and it probably hasn't happened as much as, as say, when you've gone in and, and things haven't been going well. But for those rare, more rare, I'm, I'm assuming anyway, and shouldn't make assumptions for agreements the book, but I'm assuming with the, the more rare cases where you have gone into an organization and you're kind of like, hmm, it's actually pretty good. Like, what has been the common denominators? Well, I think one thing to say before we get into that is that there are certain things that some organizations do really well 
Mm. And other areas they don't do really well, right? So it's not like everybody does everything great or poorly. There's like, yeah, yeah. man, you guys do A, B, and C really well, but one, two, three kind of average, right? Or this other organization does one, two, three awesomely, but A, B, C kind of average, right? So there's yeah. kind of areas where they kind of ebb and flow. Um, but there are some that really excel um, across the board. And um, one, I think you hit on the head, communication. Um, two is trust. Mm. Um, and trust is defined as are, um, are you um, looking out for my best interests, right? And that's at the end of the day, that's kind of what trust is. You think about family, the same type of thing. You know that your family members are looking out for your best interests, you know, when giving you advice and you hope, right? Um, so that's kind of what it is there. Um, there's also an ability of freedom to do their job and autonomy, right? Um, so there's a leadership piece and that's kind of the big one is that who is running the show, who is the leadership and who's disseminating the information. And is that leader of the team, are they allowing the team to do their jobs well? Are they creating autonomy? Are they acting as a human shield to prevent some of the other things in the organization from hitting them, right, that they don't need to be hit with? Um, are they able to get the things that they need for the individuals to be successful? Not everything, right? Not like a, a, um, a want list, but a, certainly a need list is able to be handled. Um, and then that they feel that they have unconditional support. You know, that's the other one, unconditional support. And if you look at or listen to any Oscar speech, Oscar winning speech, any Tony award winning speech, anybody who's won anything in of substance, you know, Fields Medal or Nobel Prize, you name it. Everybody says, I couldn't have done it without the unconditional support of blank, right? And I think that's the big factor is that people many times don't have that unconditional support or feel they have that unconditional support. And when they do have that, I think that's uh, lifts a big barrier to performance. Mm. Very interested to ask why you went back to get your PhD in nutrition. Wasn't it your PhD? Yeah. Yeah. So um, what, what I found is that um, I wanted to kind of, opened more doors for me down the road in my career. Hmm. Um, and I said, well, if I get a PhD, what doors does that allow me to walk through? I may not walk through them, but what could I walk through? I could teach, right? So I could teach at a university if I wanted to. I could do research at a university if I wanted to. I could teach at the community college level if I wanted to. Yes, you only need a master's, but at the end of the day, I'd be competing with a bunch of PhDs who are retiring and want to kind of just lighten their load and teach at the community college, right? Hmm. Um, I could consult. Sure, I can consult with a master's, but people are would much rather consult with a PhD at the end of the day. Um, and uh, I'm a huge, big believer in education. And at the time, I was like, man, I really need to beef up my skill set. And one area of weakness I had was um, nutrition. And at the time, again, I was at Athletes Performance, but you know, I'm not, I'm not going to go any higher in the company, right? I'm already at the top. So it's like, well, you know, let's go ahead and, and make a move. So that's when I decided to go back to school. So. so if I was to ask you sort of big overall picture, nutrition, Brandon, mm -hmm. fill me in. And I suppose, I suppose give you a little more context. Let's just specifically zone in on nutrition for high performance. So we're not specifically talking about optimizing health, wellness, longevity, just for High performance. Now, I know, again, it could be more civic towards the sport, but let's just start there, big picture. 
big picture, sleep. Because if you are sleep deprived, you actually alter your carbohydrate metabolism. Mm. So if you can't metabolize carbohydrates as well, well, you can't store energy as well in glycogen, right? So you don't recover as well. Um, you don't have substrates necessarily available as, as significant as you would likely have on well-rested, right? So it kind of ties in, right? Everything's connected. So the first thing I would say was you need to, you know, a, a sleep also can impact cravings. That's why people who are sleep deprived crave carbohydrates and what types of the junky kind, right? Because they're trying to store carbohydrates, which is having a hard time being metabolized. So um, that is one key piece of the nutrition puzzle that is often overlooked because it's considered not associated with it, right? But they're very tightly linked. Um, I think hydration, you hit it on the head, right? Just be aware of your hydration. Um, eat whole foods, right? Try to stay away from the processed stuff. Um, there is no metabolic window. Don't worry about the 30 minutes post-exercise or 10 minutes post-exercise to chug your shake. You can get it six hours later. It's all good. Um, I think you need to eat a variety of foods. I think that kind of, as we know today, kind of um, supports a healthy microbiome, microbiota. Um, it's when you eliminate foods. Now the body is not, the bacteria cannot be, you know, proliferated as a result. So, um, yeah, it's, kind of, it's very general, but that's pretty much for high performance, right? You know, try away, stay from the anti-inflammatory foods because inflammation kind of is going to drive everything in terms of recovery and performance and cognition and those types of things as well. Um, so there are, there is, uh, I am a believer in supplementation um, because I think that it's just needed just due to environment as you touched on earlier, right? We are living in different environments. So depending on your air quality in which you live, depending on how you train, depending on how much you sweat, depending on the stresses of your life, you're going to need some additional support. Um, you're going to need supplemental support, and that should come in the form of specific supplements, but tailor-made to, to meet your needs. So uh, that's, that's the, quick, the quick version. Yeah. In terms there of glucose metabolism and sleep's effect on that, what, what do you think from a mechanistic standpoint is leading to that? So you said there when people are sleep-deprived, they seem to gravitate towards eating more of these processed carbohydrates. Just mechanistically, what, what have you seen from the literature that, that is trying to understand that from a mechanistic standpoint? Well, from, from a, a craving standpoint, it's really hard to tell because there's not much out there on that. Um, so I can't give you an evidence-based answer. I can give you an evidence-led answer. Mm -hmm. Right. True. Which would be that because we have an, we're having trouble storing glucose um, and we're having trouble metabolizing carbohydrates, we now need more of those to get to the level, the acceptable range that your body needs or wants or desires or requires. Right. So as a result, those cravings then crank up. Um, and that can be driven through a number of things. It could be driven through just a signaling pathway because you're not getting enough, or it could be even signaling from your human microbiome, right? Because we know that impacts cravings as well. So 
you know, if the carbohydrates aren't there, these bacteria think they're dying, they're going to start sending signals that you need to, you need to eat more of it, right? That's where kind of cravings they believe today, you know, this comes from, right? So that's the best answer I can give you, um, considering that what we need to know about this area is about the size of, you know, the room we're both sitting in. And what we know is probably about the size of our fingernail. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, anything I see on it now, you know, I, I, I have come across a bit of literature, you know, that very poor sleep, you know, acute, acute like sleep deprivation definitely has an impact on insulin sensitivity. You know, they've, they've shown like people who have had some acute sleep disruption, like they're, they basically... Sure they basically become pre-diabetic within like a very yeah. short period of time. And then also there's issues with like your, uh, satiety hormones like ghrelin and, you know, there's this thing with ghrelin and, and all those. Yeah. yeah everything and goes off and insulin goes off. Yes. Yeah, so left in an insulin as well. So ghrelin too. But, uh, another question I have to, for you too, is in terms of gender differences, do you, have you seen just among male and female athletes in terms, again, of performance, nutrition and recovery, have you seen much of a difference in, in terms of areas that, you know, that males sort of, they seem to do better in and not so good in and same then on the other end of that spectrum, females seem, seem to always do better at this end, but usually seem to, to not do so well on that end. For me personally, like this is just me now, I always, uh, not always, but a usual thing from a nutritional standpoint is females just always seem to be like so protein deficient, whatever it is. You know, female athletes, that was just one sort of observation. Now, with, not with all, I'm saying, just with some. Um, whereas, like, you know, males, then that, that never seems to be an issue in terms of, you know, making sure to get enough protein, adequate protein. But, and obviously there's going to be sort of things that both genders don't do well, like, again, sleep is sort of across the board and hydration. But was there anything you noticed from a performance, nutrition, and recovery standpoint, like a difference between males and Pro- females? Yeah, from a recovery standpoint, uh, females actually recover faster than men. Um, theorize that women have higher circulating levels of estrogen. Mm. Estrogen, aside from being a secondary sex hormone, is a powerful antioxidant. So uh, they tend to bounce back quicker. Um, you can train them harder, actually, and they'll see less of a negative effect. Um, that's also one of the reasons why they hypothesize women have less heart attacks, premenopausal women, obviously, um, those types of things. So um, why women can Possibly that's why also we have a man cold, right? Because there's certain things when it comes to, you know, um, recovery and pain tolerance that women kind of have a little bit are more genetically stacked in their favor, if you will, right? Um, yeah. So um, from a nutrition standpoint, you know, it's interesting you brought that point up. Um, I think it's speci- I think it's sports specific. Yeah. Um, because I've certainly seen certain sports where men can be more protein deficient um, and or some, some events even restrictive. Right. And then I've seen the opposite male sports and I've seen the kind of women experience the same thing on both, you know, positive and negative. So um, hard to say there's actually a one specific stereotype, if you will, right. Yeah, for I that. Guess, yeah. um, I think I can make anecdotal observations based upon sports, but uh, nothing, that that holds true across the board yeah so obviously a huge part of your role now is changing human behavior so i suppose from your research what sort of stands out for you in terms of changing behaviors what sort of strategies 
have you had to put in place again, sort of keeping this team of performance strategies, nutrition, recovery, just anything that's going to help uh, elite level performance. And maybe, I don't know if you have, maybe have a case study to maybe wrap that up with, say, here's an example. Because obviously at the end of the day, we can sit down, we can suss out like evidence and we can theorize and, you know, we can come up with such and such protocol. And I think at this stage, we all know that it's not knowing that's the problem nowadays. It's doing like, I mean, we're surrounded by information. It's just the fact of actually doing it. So trying to fill that gap from, yeah, I know this to, yeah, I'm actually going to do this. So in terms of just changing human behavior, what's sort of your whole mindset around that? Um, a lot of that comes down to education and trust. Mm. Going back to, are, am I promoting the needs of the individual with whom I'm working? Right? Or do I have their best interest at heart? Um, and I think that's what people talk about when they say buy-in. I think that's what people are talking about when they're, when they're talking about, you know, uh, you know, getting people to kind of, you know, all row in the same, you know, direction, those types of things. Um, so I think it starts there to kind of understand the individuals in the organization to say, you know, here's, here's the education, here's what I think, here's how I can make it palatable, here's how I think it can help you, right? You know, what, here are the problems that this solves for you. Um, here are the things which, if we do this, it'll make it easier for you to do X, Y, and Z. So I think that's kind of, at the end of the day, people are going to be selfish, right? So how can you help me is what they want to know, right? And I think that's where you have to first talk about it is to say, this is how I can help you. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, that's great, right? It's like, I get, I get this all the time. You know, how do you get the, the, the old time guy who, you know, doesn't like to do anything in the gym, but curls or likes to spin on his head, right? How do you get, you know, how do you get him to buy in? We go up to him and when you get to know him and two, you say, you know, I got these, I got some great exercise that may help you spin on your head better. All right. Well, let me hear what they are, right? And then he might be like, well, what else do you have? So it's, it's, it's understanding what battles you need to fight and understanding why they do these specific things, right? It's understanding people on the people level and human level. There's going to be a very specific reason why this person likes to spin on their head. We just can't go in there and assume we know we have to figure that out. So how can you make their world easier? And how can you show them that you're looking out for their best interests? So that's kind of what it comes down to. Yeah, it's so true, man. I mean, I know it sounds like a cliche and it's probably like an eye rolling statement at this stage to some of the listeners here, but like it really does come down to trust. Like I've seen it with Mike Boyle and I spoke to Mike before, like when he was at the Red Sox, when he came in first and he was just like, he remembered one day, like like I've no interest in baseball, so I have no idea. I can't remember the player, but uh, he was telling me there was just this player like, and he was very high up in the the Red Sox um, organization. And like Mike was just like, asking him the farm roll he just looks at him and goes no <laughs> and Mike's like you know what can you do <laughs> so but Mike yeah. said, but Mike said like over time like he like he like all every, like nearly everyone bought into Mike then you know by the time he he finished up with the Red Sox but he was just talking about like the process of just slowly building that trust and you know the summer I worked there four years ago a, a very high level um football player now soccer player we you know the Americans say but he, he was a international football player not american soccer he uh, came to work mike like and if you were a young sort of newbie coach in the field you'd be looking at mike going what is he doing with, with such and such i don't want to say the player's name just out of you know being respectful 
because Mike w- was just like playing basketball hoops with him and speaking to him and you know yeah. because this player had a really negative experience with strength and condition a few years be- beforehand and so and he'd seen a lot of sports medicine practitioners so he was at a stage in his career he's like what's this fella gonna tell me that I haven't already heard so Mike understood that and Mike was just really he was just you know every day gaining a little more trust you know it was like putting a you know an extra dollar into the trust bank account but it was just gas like all he'd done for the first like week 10 days was just like he's just like playing basketball with that guy <laughs> and it's just like like because there was interns at boys and they're like i don't understand like why like, was he and he's like he's got to earn his trust you gotta know that and then like by the yeah. end of the time this guy was at mike he was in the gym he was lifting weights because he completely bought into mike like you know mike and him and in fairness he's he got back to a pretty good standard too after that. So, yeah, the trust thing is huge. Yep. Yep. And everybody, and, and, and I think, and that those things take time, certain longer than other people, right? And I think those are things you have to look at, and that's why it's important to, to get to know people. And it's true what they say. You know, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? It's another eye-rolling statement for you, right? But, yeah. you know, it, it, it's, it's there's a lot of truth to that, that, you know, are you looking out for my best interests? That's all it comes down to at the end of the day. Yeah. So last sort of question for you. And then um, obviously I want to respect your time. We have about 10 minutes, well, 30 minutes left. Um, a, a common theme I've seen, and you know, you, you'd be the, you'd be an ideal person to ask about this because Derek was too, because again, you're consultants and you've, you've dealt with a lot of organizations, you know, so a, a big sort of question that, was on my mind over the last year or so it was just like happiness and fulfillment and um, i go through stages where like you know i kind of have like these one big questions that i like to meditate on an awful lot and when i say meditate really i just mean i think i don't sit in a lotus position in a cave or anything like that you know so i've gone through t- <laughs> t- uh, p- periods of time like so like the question of death and uncertainty was a huge one i think uncertainty is a huge thing that drives human behavior you know like you know like the the sort of strategies humans come up with to deal with uncertainty you know like all of our little idiosyncrasies where it's like believing in certain religious beliefs or having like these certain daily habits that they give you certainty so like you need them they're like your safety blanket then like i've meditated on things like imposter syndrome and then after that it was happiness and fulfillment and uh, this is coming this is coming full full circle with this question so with the happiness for fulfillment question what i started to see was you know a lot of people like and sorry let's be more specific here a lot of coaches in in the in the strength and conditioning profession uh physical preparation profession sports performance profession i'm saying all those to keep all the listeners happy because people like different titles nowadays whatever the fuck you want um but they seem to get this sort of concept oh if if i get that position with this organization or if i get into pro sports or if i work with a collegiate team or such and such organization that's that's where it's at that's where it's at and a lot of them get there and they get into this organization and they're an assistant snc or they're high up in an academy position usually the academy coaches aren't too bad so it's more so with the senior squad like they're an assistant snc they're head they're head strength conditioner or they could be head of the athletic department and they're there and a year or two goes by maybe three or four years and they're in the toilet one day sitting down having a dump and then this voice in their head goes you know what i don't want to do this anymore I'm really, really not happy. And then this other voice in her head goes, you ungrateful son of a bitch. All you said you wanted was this high elite professional job. You're in this organization making six figures. You know, all this. Look look at this organization from the outside looking in. It's a, you should be, it's a privilege to be here. And you're telling me you don't want it. How ungrateful are you? And then they just have this internal struggle. 
And then what happens too is they start to feel ashamed of themselves and they're not a nice person to be around because they don't even like themselves. And then if you go back to all these acute transient factors like they're sleep deprived, they, uh, they're not getting adequate daylight because they're inside in the building all day. Like humans need to be out in daylight. They're not drinking water. They don't exercise or work out anymore because they're just depressed themselves. And then what happens is, this is the big one, Brennan. They get into the game of one-upsmanship. What time are you here at this morning? 6 a.m.? Oh, I was here at 4. Yeah, what time did you leave yesterday? Oh, you left at 6 p.m.? Yeah, I was here till 10 p.m. last night. You know, throwing suffering in your face in the game of one-upsmanship. And then the third, the third guy walks in and goes, I actually slept here last night. And then here's the other factor to this. If any of these guys are married with a family, oh, God, they don't go home then. They, they linger in the facility because it's an avoidance behavior. Because the last few times they've gone home, their wife goes, I thought you were going to be home early today to bring the kids to the park. Or I thought you were going to go to the, to the kids' play last night. Where were you? It's always the guys. It's always the team. It's always them first. When are we going to come first? So they don't go home. Mm-hmm. So basically what I'm getting at here is these people are fucking miserable. And people from the outside go, God, you work with such and such organization. It must be amazing. And they're kind of like, they're like, yeah. But in their head, they're like, I want to kill myself. Sorry. And I, I don't mean that. Sorry for anyone. I should take that back. But you know what I mean? I mean that as a, a joke. That, not that that's a thing to be joking about, but like they're kind of like you know I, I I'm really unhappy. Um, so like, have you seen this in organizations you've gone to? Because I I just know from friends I have in professional organizations, this is what they have, and they built up such an identity, and that they, you know they're so self-identified with the organization they're with, and they're too scared to walk away because they're nearly too afraid of what the, the peers will say. Like, ah, you just couldn't grind it out. You weren't man enough. You weren't hard enough. Whereas like they should be able to go listen. I love this. It fulfilled me for this period of time. It doesn't fulfill me anymore. It's completely unfair to myself, my family, and the players and organization if I stay here because it's, it's, it's not where I need to be in this point in my life. I need to move on. So just you can take it away there. Sorry, I know that was long, but it, it, you can see it's something I thought about a lot. <laughs> no, that's awesome. And then I think you hit it on the head. I think at the end of the day, um, people are people. And we want three things, food, shelter, and sense of belonging. And I think when all of a sudden, hierarchy. pretty much right. But it's like, you know, what, if any of those things were in fear of losing those, that's, that's when bad things happen. Right. I mean, if we've been in sports all our life and this is your identity and all of a sudden you're thinking about walking away, that can be very scary because now what is your identity? Right. You're not a part of that team. You're not a part of that group. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, it's like you go to a conference and everybody's wearing their shirt where they work, right? Because it's that sense of belonging. It's to show that you have a sense of belonging and you have a tribe, if you will, right? Um, and, and, it, and I think as people in the performance field, um, we neglect that ourselves and we neglect high performance ourselves. And, and you know, we have to understand the polit- politics of things that, you know, you get this high paying job, $700,000, right. To be a high performance director, you know, in the NBA, 300,000, 400,000, that money is hush money to say, don't come up in my office and complain, deal with it. Right. I don't care if it's not perfect for you. I'm paying you to leave me alone. Right. As well. Hmm. So I think there's that reality kind of sets in as well. So I think there's the said two things. I think there is the there is reality and, and not reality. And I think many times that's where we fight in our head is that well, I want this to be this, and it's not. Like you said, then you have that conflict going back and forth, and then you have uh, that's hard to come to grips with as an individual. 
And then if you walk away, what does that say about you? Are you a failure? Um, will you get another job again? Will, you know, did, do I have any value left to give? Um, you know, so I think there's so many different things that we fight with internally. And I think this kind of ties in nicely with the project that I did for the U.S. military, which looks at achieving high performance. And it has to be a perfect combination of the physical, the cognitive, social, and emotional. You can't just excel in one. You can't just excel in the physical space and achieve sustainable high performance. Um, and they're all connected. They all fight with one another, right, or help one another. So how we feel physically can impact how we feel cognitively, socially, and emotionally, and, and vice versa, right, and all the way around the circle. So I think we as coaches, who we live many times in the physical world, so we get caught up there, we need to look at ourselves introspectively and kind of say, are we optimizing ourselves socially, emotionally, and cognitively as well? Because I think that's where the riches lie, so to speak. Um, is making sure that we can kind of become the best that we can be in all four of those domains. Um, you know, selfishly as a consultant, um, you know, there is a, there is a good and bad, right? As a consultant, when is my next work going to come? Will it come? Um, you know, I have to pay my own benefits, right? Cause I work for myself. Um, which you, those are things you don't have to worry about when you work with an organization, mm. but I get to work from home many times. Um, and I get to be with my kids a lot more than I did in, in any of my other jobs or what happened in any of my other jobs. Yeah. Um, so, you know, not to use this term either, which is kind of worn out, what bucket am I filling, right? So from my standpoint, selfishly, I'm in a good spot because socially, emotionally, cognitively, and physically, I'm doing pretty good right now, right? That's great. I think too, it's just because as well as having a, a you know a, a good few friends and peers within professional sports i watched an awful lot of documentaries particularly on like you know ex nfl coaches and it was just like almost everyone bar one guy there was just one guy who was like you know what there's life outside of football it was bruce arias it was a great documentary you know the a football life bruce arias was the only coach i watched i think nearly every football life i could get on youtube and he was the only coach that said, if there was a guy in my coaching staff and I heard he missed uh, like a, a family event or a kid's recital, I would warn him. I, and I, he said, like, I would tell him, if you do that again, I'll fire you. You're not to miss a family event. Because one of the things yeah. was like, they showed him out like fishing and all this. And, and like they were interviewing like all the players and people who'd worked with him in the past. And one great thing about Bruce was he lived life while he was in football. It wasn't always about football. And it's just like, and like, Nearly everyone like that spoke about him, like loved him. They're like, oh, he's a legend, like, you know what I mean? So it just goes to show like, it can be done because like you look at Joe Gibbs then with the 49ers and Gibbs used to sleep at the facility from Monday to Friday, wouldn't see his kids and his family. Like, and, and like, you know, some people say, oh, well, that's the trade-off you have to make. It's like, yeah, I think they just tell themselves that, you know, it can be done if you really wanted to make it, you know, make it happen, like in terms of like Bruce Aries. But yeah, it's just, it's just a common, a sort of common theme. I sort of seeing that. I think, again, it comes down to like a lot of people, they're trying to externalize their fulfillment, you know? So if I'm with this organization and I have this role, it'll, it'll make me have this amount of self-worth and I'll feel fulfilled. Whereas like, it's, it's not a, it's not an outside in job. It's an inside out job. And I say that as a human who's on the same journey as everyone else who's listening to this, I'm as flawed as anyone else listens to this. I'm not on a, I'm not in a throne. I don't have a halo around my head. Like I have many flaws, many fears. Like, so 
it's it, you know this sort of thought process that people are listening to right now and i appreciate people listening to this is coming from a human who's you know who has every you know as i said idiosyncrasy and fear as anyone else listening to this and has the same hang-ups as anyone else listening to this so it was just a common theme i'm seeing and really want to get your perspective on it for someone who's a consultant who who gets the chance to see a lot of different organizations well, I think you hit on the head too, and, and this is the old saying, you know, if you're never enough without it, you're never going to be enough with it. Oh, brilliant. brilliant. Um, and yeah, and I think that says the other thing too is, you know, of all the hard work and, you know, sleeping at the facility and getting at 4 a.m. And, and those types of things, you know, the, did it make an appreciable change in the performance of the team? Yeah. That's, right? that, and that's, that's the thing. It's like, wow, we're, we, we, you know, we, whether I slept here for all night, or whether I went home and spent the afternoon with my team or with my family, um, it didn't change wins or losses. Mm. All right. Well, all right. So it didn't make a difference. So why, again, why externalize it and make yourself seem bigger than it is? And also the last thing you know, I need to say about this is that it doesn't matter how hard you work, it doesn't make the organization like you anymore. Yeah. Right? Because yeah. at the end of the day, when you're on your deathbed, who's going to be around you? It's not going to be the. It's not going to be the organization, right? It's going to be every everybody else in your life uh, who 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 should be of value. You know, it, I had this conversation with a friend. I know we're we're close to time. You know, I had this conversation with a friend on Monday. That it's it's so funny, like how blind we are to certain sort of aspects of our life, uh, where like you know, we, 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 like, we feel like, and I'll give an example to, to sort of make this more, less of a, an abstraction. Like, so for instance, going back to coaches who like, who sleep at the facility and who grind it out. And, and then if they saw another coach who left early, spent time with their family and they see them as being soft, it's like, no, no, they have the discipline to go home and realize I have to not only be a leader at work, but I need to be a leader with my team at home mm-hmm. too. And mm-hmm. like, I, I see this too as, as an irony or a dichotomy too. Like, you know, I, listen, Jocko Willink, great guy. Your man, David Goggins, great guy. But they, like, so if they they only see their discipline, like, so with Jocko, he's like, I have to get up at 4.30 in the morning and I have to do my deadlifts. And if you don't do that, like, no, he's not saying this, but like, you know, he believes like that's discipline and, and it makes me a hearty man. But he doesn't have the discipline to listen to his body when it needs recovery. You see what I'm saying? Because so mm-hmm. you could flip that coin around and look at the other, uh, the other side of it. Because I've had athletes where like they only ever look at the discipline aspect of performance to the training. They're all like, so they they could they, they they might come to me as a coach and say such and such doesn't put it in. Like you know he doesn't work hard enough for this that the other. And I could and then this individual I was like, you don't sleep, drink hydration, or you know equal recovery. Okay, you train really hard, but you don't put the same dedication discipline into these areas. The recovery. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's 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 almost the yeah. irony of that that I see. So like, yeah. again, like when I see that with like the guys grinding in the facility, it's like, why don't you put that same drive into your family too? And it stops seeing that as being weak or soft that you have to leave the facility or the likes of Jocko. Not having to go with Jocko, just using an example where guys are like, if you don't get before thirty and like tell your body, fuck off, buddy, you're going to grind today. It's like you don't have the discipline now. You're being soft on yeah. the recovery standpoint. It's just looking at that coin from your side. So it's just something to think about. Yeah. Well said. Brandon, that was fantastic. I won't think of any more time. I have tons more questions I'll ask you, but we can always do a part two. Um I will ask one final one. 
if if you're willing okay. to if you're willing to to answer this because uh, I, I ask this a lot and then people they go oh god i could have done this beforehand but i'll ask it because i love people's uh, answers to this when they do give one so if i was to take you for dinner right and i said you can bring five people to this dinner and the five people that can be dead or alive they can be actual people or fictitious characters so like characters in a book or a play or a movie who would you bring to this dinner and why? And a me- immediate family, like your wife and kids, don't count. But like a, you know, a, a parent or you know, a past uncle or auntie can come. But if you could invite five people to dinner, dead or alive, any five people. So my immediate family can't come. My wife and kids can't come. Wife and kids, they're, they're included. So they don't, they don't, they're already there. Oh, they're already there. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, I would probably bring um, my daughter loves the movie planes right now so i'd bring a character for that so she'd have someone to hang out with i love it right <laughs> my um my littlest one is just a baby so i don't think she would really really care um i bring my grandfather nice. um i know my wife had a very strong connection with her grandfather so i'd bring Brilliant. bring him along too um so that brings us up to three so we have two more two more any two people uh, that's ever lived or living you know i i I would probably go with, it's funny, I think about this a lot, but now that you ask me, I'm having a hard time even coming up with it. Because um, most of the time I just do living people. I'd probably bring some of like my, my maybe two of my closest friends. Great. Um, yeah, that's kind of what it's about. I went, you know, I could bring, pick a historical person, you know, something like that, which would kind of be fun. But um, maybe I'd bring... Um, Maybe Oprah Winfrey and Barack Obama. Yeah, man. Yeah, I've had them before. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Two, two phenomenal. Yeah, probably the That'd most be a fun, fun group. Two most famous black people in history. You know what I mean? So, absolutely. Sure. Yeah, it would be great to. to I'd, I'd, I'd like to speak to both of them. Oh uh, no, you know what? Michelangelo. There's another guy too. Absolute legend. Or, 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 get, sorry, I got I gotta throw him in the mix. Or sorry, def- Oprah. Or, wow. da, <laughs> or Da Vinci, them genies. What were they at? Imagine, imagine, right? if, imagine if Da Vinci and Michael Andrew are alive now with today's technology. Oh my God, they've taken over the world. Oh my gosh, right? If you haven't lunch, Elon Musk. <laughs> Talking about going to Mars or probably even beyond, knowing them boys. Listen, Brandon, totally. Yeah, Brandon, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. I'll say goodbye to you offline. But for everyone else listening, great episode with Brandon. No doubt we'll have him back on in the future because I have plenty more that I could talk to him about. So for everyone listening, peace. Thank you.